Welcome to the Gone Fishing Podcast, episode 23. In today's episode, I'll be discussing the human need for a relationship with God and the spiritual life. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Gone Fishing Podcast. Join Ron Bouchard as he casts a wide net sharing his philosophy of life, business, and success, and goes fishing for wisdom in interviews with other entrepreneurs, authors, and thought leaders. You'll hear their stories of triumph and tribulation. If you're an aspiring entrepreneur trying to succeed outside the confines of the current of social expectation, bring the bait and join us for Gone Fishing. Welcome to the Gone Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Bouchard. Take a moment. Stop what you're doing and look at your surroundings. What do you see? Some of you are sitting in a car, surrounded by telephone poles, street signs, roads, and buildings, each one created by an intelligent being for a purpose. Try to find something, anything, that doesn't have a purpose. Can you? Probably not. And if that's the case, aren't you more valuable than all the other things we just mentioned? Of course you are. As such, it stands to reason that you too are a matter of creation and that you were born for a purpose, several purposes, in fact. And one of those purposes is to love and to be loved. The ultimate relationship of love we can form is one with the God who created us, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I believe he created us with what I call a God spot, a space designed deep within us to fill with that relationship. Nothing else can quite satisfy that need because nothing else quite fits. Even though God exists and has always existed, not all civilizations have grown to know him or accept him. So instead, they created all kinds of substitutes to worship. Egypt created 2,000 deities, and the Greeks have 12 major gods. Greece and Egypt share one, Abraxas, who has a human body, a big old rooster head, and snakes for legs. In India, they worship Lakshmi, the child goddess with four arms and four legs. The Israelites worship the golden calf, and today, people worship material goods, power, money, human intellect, and more. Even those who profess to be atheists worship some form of God. But why? Because the God spot exists. What they get wrong is they try to fill it with the wrong thing, and that's what makes them restless. So how do we fill that God spot and form a lasting, fulfilling relationship with the one true God? Today's guest is here to answer that question. He is a professor of theology at Providence College in Rhode Island. He received his doctorate in sacred theology from the University of Freiburg in Switzerland. His research and teaching interests are in moral theology, Christology, and the thoughts of St. Thomas Aquinas. He is the author of a book and a study entitled The Passions of Christ's Soul and the Theology of St. Thomas Aquinas, published recently by Cluny Media. His scholarship has appeared in such noted scholarly journals as the Tomast and Novat Vadora, and numerous anthologies such as the Cambridge Companion to the Summa Theologica. He is currently working on several book projects, one in particular exploring the meaning and purpose of human sexuality through the thoughts of St. Thomas Aquinas. He speaks publicly and ardently in defense of the traditional and biblical understanding of human marriage, which is the most challenging task in the times in which we live. I'd like to welcome a great friend, Dr. Paul Gondro. How are you doing, Paul? Doing really well, Ron. 
or Dr. Gondro. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, we've had multiple uh, conversations over the years, but as you know, I, I believe that um, we all have been given what I call the God spot. Um, but you say that we're wired or created for a relationship with God. Now, what is the academic basis for you saying that? And what does that mean exactly? Well, I think it, it really means the equivalent of what you mean by the God spot. Really, it's just a choice of terms that one is comfortable with. But what I mean by it is the fact that we have been created by God uh, and God has created us for a certain purpose, to, uh, for fulfillment. In fact, he has created everything, to, uh, and he's ordered everything to its proper fulfillment. So that's really what I mean, that, that God, when I say he's wired us, uh, that is that he has designed us in such a way as to live in accordance with what he intends for us and that what he intends for us is our happiness and fulfillment and this this wiring it's 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 embedded in in the very way we're created in our makeup uh, and it's also uh, imprinted on our minds and in our spirits you know it's interesting you say that because i um, start usually when i coach or when I'm doing a presentation, I usually start with what I call in the beginning. Um, and it's a, it's a look into God and whether or not there is a God, because if there's no God, then I contend that there is no purpose. There is no fulfillment. There is no, no purpose or no skill set that we've been given, no gift that we've been given. And I don't know where we go from there if we don't have a gift and if we are not wired or if we're not created. I, I don't. What is the purpose of our being here then? Yeah, I agree, Ron. In fact, it's and it, this is not unique to us. Everything has a purpose. You know, the great ancient philosopher Aristotle, uh, you know, he, he named purpose as one of the one of the fundamental reasons for the existence of anything. So you can point to a, a maple tree and you can speak of its its purpose. You can speak of its of its happy life. It sounds a little weird to put it that way, but but it's meaningful. For instance, if I ask you, "What is a fulfilled, happy maple tree?" You're able to answer the question. You say a tree that that foliates in springtime and um, you know produces uh, sap from which we can make syrup and and whatnot. And as we go up the chain, uh, we can. St- we can see that even more easily say what does it mean what is the purpose what's the happy life the fulfilled life of the cow to graze in the fields and produce milk a couple times a day so this is not unique to us but because we we are body spirit beings body spirit unities we have a much higher purpose and its purpose is with god himself so you're right and you know, just think of anything that we we ourselves fabricate. Think of a computer or an iPhone. It would be impossible even to understand it without its fundamental purpose. And it's the purpose that determines if, say, the iPhone is functioning properly, if it's defective. Without without purpose, 
that the thing doesn't exist in the first place. So this is this is nothing unique to us, uh, but but it does name the fact that that you're you're absolutely right. There, it, it's what gives you know human life its its proper and ultimate meaning and direction and standard. And you believe then, as I do, that we're all born with a gift that corresponds with that specific purpose that we were given to carry out that that particular meaning or that particular purpose. Yes, very much so. We're not God doesn't design us like you know Energizer bunnies. Remember those old commercials? You know where you just <laughs> wind up the Energizer bunny and just goes around aimlessly. Uh, no, He's charged us with profound meaning and direction. And it's and it's and he's embedded this in in the deepest interior aspects of our lives. So, indeed, I agree with you completely on that. And there's a biblical basis for that, then. Yeah, there absolutely is a biblical basis because think of it kind of like this: that again, we, we're we're body spirit unities, and so having a body. God has designed it so that there are certain needs that accrue to our bodies. And when we have those needs satisfied, we experience a certain degree of fulfillment. So it is with the human spirit or the human soul. So there are needs there as well. But because the spirit is is higher or greater than the body, when our deeper spiritual needs, uh, and really what I'm speaking of here is, is uh, is knowing and in, in in a way that's proper to us as humans, and loving uh, in a way that's proper to us as humans. When we have those needs satisfied, there's a d- deeper degree of fulfillment. So we've been wired to enjoy many, many good things, and God has wired us this way: good things such as food and drink and possessions and recreation and entertainment and education. But if you just ask anyone, what would you put at the top of the list of of that which gives your lives deepest meaning and fulfillment. What is, what is it that that you find most happiness in? And everyone immediately answers love or relationships. So this is not to say anything bad or to diss our wiring for for good food. Certainly, we all appreciate good food, but there's a recognition there that that relationship fills us in a deeper human way than simply food does. Right, so, uh, so we've been wired ultimately for relationship, but there uh, we must recognize that there's no human relationship or even a whole set of relationships, say with a spouse or with all your family and friends together, that can fulfill your heart's deepest yearning for the love that fulfills every longing. What we really yearn ultimately for is to have every desire fulfilled and, and every evil excluded. Uh, and certainly no, no experience of any created earthly good and not even an experience of, of a relationship here below can give us that satisfaction. And yet that's what we yearn for. What's that satisfaction? Well, it's really, it's a satisfaction that can only be satisfied by the infinite and the absolute. In other words, what I'm trying to place my finger on is that because we have this spirit, we have a yearning 
an ordering to the infinite and the absolute. And only the infinite and the absolute can fill up our hearts completely. Now, the biblical story uh, makes that reality profoundly personal. It's not just abstract. When I say the infinite and the absolute, of course, I'm speaking about God. But what the Bible makes clear is, is God isn't just this abstract, infinite good. He is love, as the New Testament puts it. God is himself love. And he enters into human history and, and intertwines, sort of uh, invades in a, in a benevolent sense, human history to, um, to be intimately involved in our lives. We see it right at the dawn of our creation in the Genesis account when God fashions our first parents. He walks in the garden with with them, with Adam and Eve, and it's it's a it's a metaphor, of course, for for how intimate uh, it, the the relationship between our first parents and God was, and how their whole lives were 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 ordered to God from what's lowest in us to what's highest, and it permeated out at the harmony that they enjoyed with God. It extended and and enveloped perfect harmony between man and woman, it, between within within ourselves, between flesh and spirit, and with the environment. And uh, of course, Genesis makes clear that that harmony was if it was if it was ruined and if there was disharmony that was introduced, it was not by God's account nor certainly by God's will, but. It was by the rebellion of our first parents. Uh, of course, that's the, where the biblical story begins, and the rest of the story is is how God uh, is how God comes after us and pursues us and uh, has has made us for Himself. This is um, it's a very famous line that I, I'm holding in mind here uh, from an ancient Christian author by the name of St. Augustine. He um, led a rather wayward life for, uh, you know, a good, the good first 30 years of his life. He, um, he, was, he had certain attachments to, for instance, to sex, to worldly glory. Uh, and um, eventually, though, uh, the, the, you know, God won him over, and uh, he wrote this account of his life and how God won him over in a very famous autobiography called The Confessions. And The Confessions, its opening line, a uh, very famous line, Augustine writes, Our hearts are restless until they rest in you, O God, for you have made us for yourself. So what Augustine is really doing is he's looking back in his life and he, he says, you know, as I, was, as I was pursuing pleasures of sex, as I was pursuing a, a, a worldly career, I was pursuing them as, as higher goods than what they really are, as goods that, that can't deliver what I was looking for them to deliver. Because really what, what I was looking for without realizing it was God himself. And because I was looking for God in in, in lower interim goods, at the, in, in place of God, the highest good, I w- my heart was restless. It was, there was an emptiness there. There, there. there was something that was profoundly unfulfilled. And only until I found God did my heart come to rest. And 
So what Augustine is writing about is how the biblical story became his personal story. And what the whole of, of salvation history that, that the Bible uh, describes and paints for us, it is meant to be lived by each of us individually. And Augustine came to see that and came to experience it. And, uh, and this, is, this, is, this is what he's attempting to express when he says, Our hearts are restless until they rest in you, O God, for you have made us for yourself. Where is that made clear? That's, that's made clear in the very creation account uh, with, with how God fashions our first parents and what, and what he endows them with. And then in the sequel, that uh, despite our turning away from God and despite our, by our own design, uh, estranging ourselves with God and, and placing ourselves in a state of enmity with God, he nonetheless, instead of leaving us in the pit of, of destruction and enmity in which we placed ourselves, he in fact uh, comes after us. He in fact pursues us to win us back, to reconcile us with himself so that we can, all of us indeed, uh, attain to that which he has fashioned for us and which sin frustrates but doesn't change which is god himself so it's it's you know the bible makes clear that god fashioned us out of love in fact genesis it's very clear that when god uh creates the world there's no there's no hint there's no suggestion that god creates the world because he needs anything that he creates the world because it gives him something god is perfect, infinite happiness and good and love himself. So he doesn't need creation. So it follows that if he does create the world and us at the crown of that creation, it's out of pure love. It's pure gift. And, um, and to offer himself to us, that to fashion us, to experience relationship. So if we're wired ultimately for relationships, it's the real ultimate relationship that we're wired for, especially in that's relationship with God. And it reminds me of, in coaching, there are four levels of love. And um, we were talking about this, I think, last week. And it reminds me of the four levels of love because I think people misunderstand a lot about God's relationship with us and how he lets us have free will which means he pursues us, but he doesn't force us. Because if he forces us, then it's not really a relationship. We're not choosing that relationship. We don't have any choice in the matter. We're being forced. Mm. But there are four levels of love. And the first, of course, is I do for you, and you do nothing for me. And only if, if you do something for me, without me having to do anything for you, do I love you. Now, that's a very selfish love. It's the lowest level mm -hmm. of love. And a lot of humans have that level of love. But they only love if you do what they ask you to do. It's very immature love. The second level of love is, I love you if you love me. So it's a trading kind of relationship. I give to you, you give to me. And as long as that is going forward, they're okay. But the minute one or the other pulls back, it's over which is a very immature love as well. The third love, the third level of love, is 
a level of love where I love you even if you don't give me what I need right now. I love you. And the fourth level of love is saintly love, which is love above man, which is a high pinnacle to get to, which is I love you even if you hurt me, even if you reject me. And I think that's where God is. That's what Jesus was, certainly. Yeah. And first, I mean, persecuted him and and crucified him who was innocent. They they slew the lamb that was perfect. And um, I think about that story all the time because I don't. No man can live up to Jesus' standard, and if they did that to Jesus, still do it to us as well. Yeah. <laughs> and there's right. a lot of persecution going on. Everywhere. Um, because there's not a lot of love going on. There's not a lot of love going on at all. Mm. But God is always the one who gets the short end of the stick as far as love's concerned, from humans anyway. Mm. And he loves us anyway. But he doesn't force us. Wouldn't you say that's true? I would. Uh, right. The, love is never coerced. It's never imposed. It's always freely chosen. So this is, this is precisely why sin must be an option. That is, that there must be the possibility that we say no to God's invitation to love. Uh, that, that he has fashioned us for relationship with him, but he does not wish to impose that upon us. He wishes that to freely choose it ourselves, which leaves open the possibility that we don't freely choose it ourselves. And of course, the biblical story and indeed the history of humanity uh, makes clear that, that, that many say no to God, don't choose God. And that's not unique to humans. It's also characteristic of God's angelic creatures, his pure spirits that he's created. Uh, led by Satan himself. So the, these four types of love you describe, it reminds me uh, once again of my favorite ancient philosopher, Aristotle, who in, a, in uh, his, his book on uh, Nicomachean ethics, he devotes an entire chapter to friendship. And he, uh, he, he makes clear that friendship is, is the goal of of the virtuous life and of the life uh, devoted to, to living in, in such a way as to live in the way that human beings are intended to live, to live in a, in a properly fulfilled manner as human. So he just surveys the, the terrain, if you will, of friendships and recognizes that, that there are lower forms of friendship. So very similar to what you were describing. Uh, he, he speaks of friendship, of pleasure. Uh, this is where people are, are in, in a, they're bonded in a relationship because they derive mutual pleasure. Say they're drinking buddies. He also speaks of friendship of utility, where people are, are in a relationship because they're, they're useful to each other. But these are, these, both these types of relationship, friendships of pleasure, friendships of utility, these are, are self-centered in a profound sense of the term. They're inward turned. 
And he, he differentiates those two types of friendship with what he calls real or true friendship, which is virtuous friendship. This is where friends, they, they love each other for each other's own sake, and they want the good for the other. So Thomas Aquinas, who, was, who, who draws deeply upon the thought of Aristotle, the uh, 13th century Christian author Thomas Aquinas, he defines love as willing the good of the other. Then, uh, if when we turn to God, we see how God, um, he just um, s- sort of explodes that whole notion of loving loving the good for the other, willing the good for the other. Uh, and you name the, um, the, the gift of his son, God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to redeem it. And as St. Paul says in his letter to the Philippians chapter 2, uh, it's, we, we call this an ancient Christ hymn. It's actually not unique to Paul. It was a hymn that the very first Christians were singing during their liturgical celebrations. And in this hymn, this is chapter 2 of the letter to the Philippians, verses 6 to 11, where Paul says that the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, he emptied himself, uh, in, in a certain manner speaking, of his divine condition, emptied himself what he had rights to hold on to and to to take the form of a slave to take on our human nature to be to be present among us in the most profoundly personal and concrete way this demanded in a, in a certain manner of speaking that he leave his 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 divine rights and glory behind not not strictly speaking, of course, but in a sort of loose manner of speaking. And it doesn't stop there, that the human life that, that, that uh, he embraced was itself a life of constant and perpetual self-emptying for the good of the other, for our sake. He, he lived a life of simplicity and poverty. Uh, he does not take on the, the human life that he assumes. He doesn't enjoy the life of a, great, of, a, of a great politician or a great warrior or a great emperor or a great king. But uh, this very simple and ordinary carpenter. Uh, and, um, and then ultimately this, of course, led to the cross where he, he emptied himself in, in amidst terrifying and excruciating and unimaginable ignominious pain and suffering and anguish all for our sake. So this, this is why the, the New Testament, in fact, introduces a new term for love. You know, in English, we have only the one, one word, love. But in ancient Greek, they had different types of words for what, for what we say in English is love. So, for instance, philia is the Greek word for the love of friendship. Eros is the Greek word for sexual type of love. The New Testament introduces a new term called agape. It's this love that is proper to God and which is revealed most fully in Christ and and, uh, most completely on the cross. 
It's a love that empties oneself completely, that puts the other, uh, other's needs completely before one's own, and will give one's life for the sake of the other. I'm reminded here of a story about, from the life of Mother Teresa. Many of your listeners should recall Mother Teresa, this nun who used to serve the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, India. She recounts the story of how one time she found a, a very impoverished man dying on the streets in Calcutta, and he was being eaten with worms. So she picked him up, and she started to clean him. And he looked at her, and he said, Why are you doing this? She said, Because I love you. Now, of course, she doesn't mean eros. There's nothing sexual there. She doesn't really mean philia either. There's no friendship. It's what the New Testament means by agape. It's this, I give myself for you, though I may not even know you, but for love of God who did this for me and for you and for all of humanity, I now am charged to do this myself, to love in the same manner. I'm empowered to love in the same manner. And it's all made possible because God himself has revealed it in the Son that he sent among us. And so that Son that we can now have a relationship with, and that relationship will then color our lives and give our lives profound new meaning and direction. Uh, pope Benedict the Sixteenth, the previous pope, used to he uh, had this great saying. He would say that that uh, you know Christianity is not first and foremost. It's not a great idea, a great ethical idea. Certainly, ethics are involved. He said, rather, Christianity at bottom is an encounter with a person, with the person of Jesus Christ. It's about relationship. And that relationship then transforms your life. So just to return to what we began the podcast, speaking about the fact that we're wired for relationship with God, that we have this yearning deep within us for the infinite and the absolute. God satisfies that yearning in a, in a profoundly human way because he becomes human so that we can have relationship with God in a way very much akin to all our human relationships. So just as you and I have a relationship, you have a relationship with your wife and for all those you come to know, so it is with Jesus. Jesus is a human being, but he's the son of God. <laughs> So if this relationship we have with the person of Jesus is like any other human relationship, it's at the same time completely different and unlike any other human relationship because this person is God himself. And so this is, this is the one relationship that can satisfy our heart's deepest desires for the love that, that only the infinite God can satisfy. So it's really quite marvelous. So when at the, in the Last Supper, then, when Jesus says to the apostles, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. This, is, this really kind of sums up the whole, the whole story of the Bible, the whole thrust of the Bible from beginning to end. It's what we've been made for. And now we see from the lips of the man Jesus, just as I'm speaking with my own lips, from his very own lips, 
We have the God of the universe, the God who, who is uncreated and infinite, saying to us, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Quite remarkable. And um, this is how, uh, I guess, God has created a personal relationship with us, right? It's yeah. his way of um, giving us the ability to have a personal relationship with us. That's right. So, you know, right after he says in John's gospel, this is John fifteen fifteen. it says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And then in the next verse, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. It's very important that we recognize that it's God who takes the initiative. It's God who pursues us. You know, this is the great difference, if you will, between uh, the biblical religion and all the other religions of the world. The other religions are expressive of man's yearning for, for God. And that's all well and good. We've been speaking um you know, Max waxing eloquently on this. But the biblical story says just the opposite, that it's before our yearning for God is God's love for us and his pursuit of us. The way the book of Revelation puts it, God says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful phrase from the Bible, beautiful verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. Now, he doesn't mean this, you know, in in the in the sort of earthly sense of, you know, let's have a let's let's have a meal together. It's really um, meant to be understood more figuratively. Because think of what think of what sharing a meal with with your loved ones and your friends means. You know, when you haven't seen a friend uh, for a time, or you haven't seen a family member for a time, what is the preferred human manner of of fellowship and rekindling of of our relationships? It's to share a meal, isn't it? And which we yes. yeah, we not only eat food together, we share our lives, our hearts conversation. So when God says, I, I will come in to him and eat with him, this is to express that I will, I will ex- enjoy and experience fellowship with him and he with me in the most profound and deeply personal manner possible. I will come in to him. I come into him. Really what ultimately it means is God comes to dwell in our hearts. How? By the gift of his grace. Grace is this term. We see it all over in the New Testament from the pen of St. Paul. But really what we are to understand by the word grace, which literally means gift, it's the gift of the inner dwelling of God himself. And this inner dwelling where God takes up his abode in the very core of our souls, in the very core of our spirits, and it's from Jesus that this grace comes. He is the, he is the source of, of this indwelling of God. So it's, it's through encountering the person of Jesus then that God, who stands at the door and knocks, comes in should we open the door, should we respond to his voice, should we, should we recognize that 
that Jesus is the one uh, that that um, as as the uh, as the uh, uh, Acts of the Apostles likes to put it, uh, this is Acts chapter four verse twelve, that uh, there's no name under heaven given among human beings by which we can be saved. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead. So I was going to say, so how is it then that we we invite him in? How how is it that we we hear the knock and we make this relationship a reality? What is it that we have to do? Because sometimes the question is, is he here? Am I alone? Yeah. How how do we know that we've let him in? Yeah, this is, it's a great question. Uh, it's what Saint Thomas Aquinas. I used to, it's what he, he had this term, he called it cooperating grace. What it means is, is God takes up his dwelling in our hearts, but, but this is not a one-way street. And it's, it's, it's not just a sort of free ticket. There's effort on our part. Relationship is always two-way street. It's, it's, it's always between two parties. So this is what he meant by cooperating grace is we, cooperate with God. Certainly he takes the initiative and nothing happens without God's first moving us, without God first choosing us, without God's first coming after us. But then we have a response to make. And a principal way in which we cooperate with God is through prayer. And I would would define prayer as, as meaning nothing other than spending time with our friend with our friend God and conversing with him, sharing our minds and our hearts with him and he with us. And, and here just compared to any other type of, of friendship, you, you become friends with a person through sharing conversation. And in the course of that conversation, you reveal certain things to each other that, that very few people know. And then you learn that you share those in common and it makes, it makes the love of, of, uh, of friendship grow. So it is with God, and this is nothing other than what what uh, what prayer is. I would I would say, and because because God is dwelling within us, this conversation that we have with God through prayer it must be done intentionally, uh, and it must be done in quiet. Why in quiet? Because God is within. So we have to draw within to find Him there, and. Of course, what I don't mean is you, you know, you, you, you become this profoundly self-centered sort of being, you know, where you shut the outside world out. No, what I'm speaking of is, is if you are to grow in your relationship with God, you must speak with him. You must listen to him. And this is done in quiet. It's, and it's not, you know, Certainly the distractions that we find all about us, the commotion, the activity, the business, the noise, the technology, uh, which occupies so much of our attention, this certainly acts as, as a hindrance to, to this conversation, this, this, this profound conversation that we must have if we are to, to know God. But, you know, I, I like to tell my students that if... You know, um, I challenge them. I, I say, if, if, if you're not sure if God exists or, you know, you're, you're just exploring the whole notion of God, 
the idea of God. I, I would invite you to, to talk to God. I would invite you to share your heart with him, even though you don't know him yet. Because I, I tell you, when you do that, your life will change. God will become more real to you than any other experience you will have in your life. It's, it's really quite remarkable that those who, who have this, this, this daily ongoing conversation with God, and certainly I'm talking about formal elements where you actually, you know, intentionally take time to, um, to just be quiet and sit with God and to listen to him. Sometimes it happens in, in public, uh, certainly in church. This is an important feature of our relationship with God. It happens uh, in community with each other, happens in our families, happens around the dinner table. But also it can happen in so many moments of our, of our daily lives. When you're driving, when you're doing the dishes, when you're mowing the lawn, uh, when you find that you have uh, this living relationship with God, You'll you'll find that he's not he's he's very intimately present, and you will feel that presence. And so, you know, we need to see prayer as you know as multifaceted, as taking on many many forms. And you know, so long as as you are you're you're sharing, you're thinking about God, you're talking to Him, you're listening to Him. In uh, whatever way and however you find yourself doing it, this, then you'll you know you will you will have this experience of of God as profoundly real, profoundly intimate, profoundly present and living. I I think of um, as you were speaking, I was thinking about still small voice. Um, last week on the podcast, I was speaking to a pastor about how God communicates to us, to us in our in our lives, and the thing that really was a puzzle to me was the still small voice. But if you're saying that you have to be quiet and go to the quiet to hear God, well, that makes sense then, because if he's speaking in a still small voice, he's doing it because he wants your attention. You have to really listen. Hmm. He's not really shouting and saying, hello, here I am. Uh, he's not shouting above the noise of the day. The only way you really can hear him, and I may, might be wrong on this, but it would be, um, that's the thing that makes sense to me, that if you go and you're quiet, that's when you start to hear him or feel him. You're describing perfectly the famous encounter with the prophet Elijah uh, with God on Mount Sinai. This is recounted and uh, and um, uh, and I can't remember if it's first or second Kings, but Elijah, uh, you know, he he's um, he's gotten into trouble with Jezebel, <laughs> the queen, uh, for um, for uh, challenging the the priests and the prophets of Baal, and he slain them. And uh, there's a whole very colorful story behind that, but but. Elijah, the great prophet, the the man who imbibes and and exemplifies the spirit of prophecy, the man who is uh, on fire for love of God. So he flees 
And he makes his way down to Mount Sinai. And there he is to encounter God. And, you know, it's a very famous scene where uh, he, um, uh, where there's first a great earthquake. And, of course, if, you know, if you're just a sort of bystander and you know that, 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 uh, that there's going to be this encounter between the great prophet Elijah and God, you would think certainly the earthquake is heralding God's arrival. But God is not in the earthquake. And then there's a great wind. And then you would think, well, certainly now the, the, the great wind is heralding God's arrival. But God is not in the great is not in the great wind either. And then there's a gentle breeze. And the Bible says, and Elijah covered his face with his cloak. God came to him in the quietness of the gentle breeze when you when he least expected it. Uh, and it's it's a, I've always read that as a beautiful metaphor for what you, what you were just uh, describing, Ron, is is encountering God in the quietness of our hearts. Certainly, we we can encounter God in in any area of life. But again, if God comes, if he if 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 we respond to his voice at the door and let him in, as he says, he will come in to us and eat with us. And so he takes up his dwelling within us, and there we find him. And so it's especially in the quietness of our hearts that we will encounter God. You know, that's really funny, uh, because it reminds me of when I was a youth, when I was a youth, And as you know, I was involved in scouts all my life. Um, what people don't know is, and I don't even think even my scout leaders know, which I don't know how they they don't know. They should have been paying attention. <laughs> but in the in the middle of the night when everybody was around the campfire and everybody was, you know, winding down for the day, I would find myself go out into the big middle of a field because I'm out in nature in the in the dark, in the wilderness, and the sky is so much brighter then. Mm-hmm. You can see so much clearer then. The moon is bright. And I used to go into the middle of a field, not too far from the campsite, so I could still see the campsite in the distance. Mm-hmm. But I used to sit in the middle of the field, and I used to just talk to God. Don't know why I did that, but I used to do it all the time when I was a kid. And I didn't grow up in a religious family. I didn't grow up in a – I mean, my father was Catholic, but not really. And my mother was Protestant, but not really. <laughs> So we never really spoke about um, religion in the household. I went to a Catholic church, but that's where it began and ended. We didn't talk about it at all. But for some reason, I always had this need to go have this relationship or this, this talk with God. And I also remember when I was young, I used to wake up in the morning and thank him for all the good things in my life. And even though I, I as a child, like a lot of people in their childhood. I had a lot of struggles in my childhood. We had a lot of difficulties, um, domestic difficulties. But I used to be thankful for the things I did have, my family, my health. And I've always had this kind of longing or relationship with him. But as you get older, you kind of get taken away. The world takes you away and just boggles you down with nonsense. But I've never felt like I've been um, separated from him. I just think 
you know, like a friend who you haven't spoken to in a long time. Hmm. Sometimes I feel that's what's happened. Well, I haven't left him, but we're not as close as we once were. And and that's what it reminds me of. So, yeah. Well, there are there are there are two biblical themes that that uh, are coming to my mind here. The first is what you described about the the campfire at night. You know, you're in good company, Ron. The company is Jesus himself, <laughs> because in the Gospels, how often are we told about Jesus going off to pray at night? How often? Hmm. Uh, th- th- this is um, this is just uh, it's it's all the time. So he himself, you know, just had that need in his humanity. Even though he is the Son of God, still in his humanity, with the commotion that would would characterize his his ministry, in which you know he's teaching. He's just he's. He's just pouring himself out. He's performing miracles, and people are flocking to him, and they're coming to him. That at the end of the day, he needed some downtime. <laughs> and uh, but it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just that human need for downtime to just kind of re-energize and refocus. It was spiritual downtime, especially. It's exactly what what you uh, experienced. It's. I, I not only need quiet time to just uh, to you know re-energize, but I need quiet time to converse with God, uh, to just be with God, and to and and that's where we that's where we get our moorings, that's where we we get our focus. And Jesus was no different. Jesus was was um, in his in his human nature. He he was no different. So you're in good company. <laughs> And you know the other biblical theme, of course, is is the great theme of the history of Israel, and that is is that is that no matter you know how much we we turn away from God and reject Him and and disobey Him and break our end of the bargain, that is, break the covenant, God remains ever faithful, uh, and. He is always there, always willing to take us back, always knocking on the door. He's and certainly, you know, we can respond and let him in, and we can we can force him out, we can chase him back out. And when we do, he still continues to knock on the door. This God, the God of the Old Testament, defines himself as a God of of fidelity in love. Uh, that that though he would. He's free from his end of the bargain. When we've broken our end of the bargain, God still remains faithful to his covenant promises. And so it is with each of us individually that, that, um, that this is, you know, as, as with any relationship, um, you know, that, that you can grow apart from, from a friend when you don't spend time with that friend, when you don't talk to that friend. But, you know, where there's real love, that friendship can be rekindled, and but it requires it requires effort. You know, you got to make the effort. You got you know, you got you got to you got to get together with your friend. And uh, you know, this is why we we can't stand this this pandemic, uh, and you know, the social distancing because it's it's contrary to our social nature, to our need for a relationship and fellowship. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, I did I did a meme 
early on in the uh, pandemic, and it was on one block I put social distancing 2019, and I put a picture of a woman and a man enjoying dinner together, except for the man was on his cell phone while the woman was just giving him the eyes. Like, come on, really? They were social distancing because he, he, even though they were together, they were distant. And then I have on the 2020 square was of a grandson and his grandparents playing tic-tac-toe through a glass door. And it was so much different. The pandemic, if it did anything in the positive, was to show us how much we need that relationship and how much we miss it and what's really important. And now the the technology that we use is um, totally so that we can communicate to them until we can be back in front of them again. It's like a reset. But I was thinking when you were talking about the story of Jesus, I never thought of it that way. And I've read those stories a million times, but and even through my son's Bible study when we're reading those stories, I never never even occurred to me that Jesus was doing the same thing or I was doing the same thing as Jesus was doing. And when I think of those stories, if I look at myself as a character in those stories, I look at myself as Peter, who was asked by Jesus to stay with him while he's in the Jesus is praying in the field right before the Judas brings um, the Sanhedrin, and he just said, can you stay with me? And Peter falls asleep. That's me. I'm the guy who falls asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Well, you know, I mean, the thing is, is we're all Peter. We're all Judas. The, the, yeah. This is the point. This is the point of the Bible. And, uh, you know, it's, is. Abraham's story is our story. Moses' story is our story. David's story is our story. And, you know, we can, we can identify with, with all these individuals. But you're right. Uh, the, the, uh, you know, Jesus, St. Thomas Aquinas likes to stress that, uh, you know, that while it takes faith to believe that God became human, it is reasonable insofar as it's fitting. And one of the reasons why it's fitting that God should become human is because we need a concrete example <laughs> to follow. And this is this marks one of the great purposes of God's becoming human, to show us how to live, to give us the model. So um, if Jesus prayed, if he if he if he carved out that time, uh, and for him it was you know, it seemed to be typically at the end of the day when he would go off and be in quiet, and so must we. So must we. That gives you something to think about. But, um, you know, you and I have had a discussion in the past about the difference between being spiritual and religious, and you say that it's nonsensical to say that uh, I'm spiritual but not religious. And um, as I've told you, I think it's a matter of context. But can you explain what you mean by that term and why you think it's nonsensical for people to say that I'm spiritual but not religious? Yeah, because all that I've been describing here is is what I mean by spiritual. The spiritual life is this walk with God. It's, it's this 
it's the, it's responding to his voice and opening the door and letting him in. The the point is, it's his voice. I'm spiritual, but not religious. This is this describes um, religion on one's own terms. You know, it's uh, it, it's it's not it's my own voice. You know, it, it, and what we learn here is that now we're not God. We haven't created ourselves. God has created us, and as with you know. As, as Apple, when it when it created the iPhone, it determined what its purpose is. So with us, God determined what our purpose in life is, and that is relationship with Him. And so, the, this this great, as I like to call the great drama, the great adventure in life, and and that is walking with God, entering into relationship with God. That is opening the door and letting Him in, and living with Him. Uh, this is this is you know this is made possible by his calling the shots by his um, determining how this is to, to occur and of course it's through his son and through no one else uh, it's his son Jesus who knocks on the door and it's his son Jesus who comes to dwell in our hearts through the gift of his grace and the and and his giving us the spirit. Uh, so it's, um, uh, to say I'm spiritual is a recognition of this human yearning for something greater. You know, it's like the star Wars, Ron, you know, with the, you know, the, the biblical God is not the force. <laughs> the force is this impersonal vague sort of energy. And, you know, I'm spiritual but not religious is 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 that sort of phenomenon um but mm. of course you know God is not this vague force or energy he is a person in fact he's three persons he's father son holy spirit and he is love and one of those persons the son has become human right so so uh um we I'm spiritual, not religious, is a, is a recognition that we we yearn for something beyond ourselves, but it remains elusive. It remains vague. It remains remote. Oh, it's only real, and it's only personal and only uh, concrete when it's through His Son. It's through His Son Jesus Christ. Uh, it's only because that's the voice. It's no other voice that that stands outside the door knocking. It's he that knocks on the door and it's he that comes to dwell within us. So uh, the, 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 the I'm spiritual is is realized, it's fulfilled in religion, in the religion that 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 God has established, that God has got that God has willed. Yeah, well, I guess in that context, I'm in complete unison with you. I think that the problem I have with with the actual individual, the average individual, is that they use spirituality as a catch-all term, and now that you say it, like the force. It's kind of a vague, uh, interchangeable term that can be used for any feeling they have, including indigestion. 
<laughs> I feel spiritual with this with this tree. I feel spiritual with the essence of whatever they feel like they have the essence of what is just an indigestion. <laughs> but but having a real God and defining God as a real being, not a not a fictitious being, not a um um a being that we we can't you know describe uh and um, can't see i mean we can certainly see jesus and i think that's one of the purposes of god bringing god on earth because man has a tendency to want to see things and touch things and i think that's that's why jesus came to earth but i could be wrong um so that we can have an image of that God figure. But to say spirituality in a, in a broad sense is, is not going to do anybody any good. Yeah. And I think that's one of the purposes of this series in my podcast is because I think that life is an ocean, as you know, and we have to build a strong boat if we're going to survive on that ocean, and one of the components that we have to have to make a strong boat is our spirituality. It's our connectedness with God because that's what fills the God spot. Nothing else does. And unless we have that walk, we don't have the purpose. And if we don't have the purpose, what are we here for? We, we might as well be Darwinian news. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and what, you're right. And, and what is to... What calls something good and something bad? <laughs> what, what, what standard uh, can can determine that if there if there is no God? Yeah, I, I don't. I know you didn't hear it before, but I did a podcast on um, tolerance and the new tolerance, a new brand of tolerance, which mm. is wildly intolerant. It's intolerant of truth, and how we've deviated away from the the foundation of tolerance at the beginning was God, a moral truth, an observable, objective objective moral truth based on a moral God that cannot be corrupted by man. I think that's what's important about the whole um, notion of God. Um, in addition to the fact that he exists, that he is the um, the one who says what's good and bad. Because if we leave it up to man, well, it all depends on who wants the power. They're going to define what's good and bad very differently. It's going to be very selfish. And throughout this whole episode, you were talking about a God that wasn't selfish, that pursued us regardless of how we treated him. So um, that's that's my thought on that subject. I think that um, spirituality is a a very important aspect of living a full life. And without it, we're like ships on an ocean with no course, with no direction, yeah. drifting aimlessly through life. And I think that's a very sad picture. Very sad picture. Yeah, our indeed. hearts remain restless. As, as Augustine said, our hearts will always remain empty and restless. And we fill it with all things that don't fill the God spot. Yeah. Well, I'd like to thank you, Dr. Gondorf, for being here today. Um, 
Would you like to leave the audience with anything else? I mean, you've already given them quite a bit. Well, I would just like to leave with this. Respond to his voice and let him in. He stands at the door knocking and he wishes to come in and eat with you and you with him. Let him in. Let him in. And what do you have to lose? Yeah. What do you have to lose? Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you can find out more about today's guest by visiting links in the show notes of this episode. And again, I'd like to thank you, Dr. Gondro. You're welcome. It was my pleasure to be with you, Ron. Thank you for listening and join me next week for our 2020 recap and weirdest headlines of 2020. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to Apple Podcasts or by visiting our website at www.gonefishingpodcast.com. And remember, life is an ocean, a strong boat, your foundation. If you want to succeed, identify a harbor, unfurl your sails, sail outside the drift currents of social expectation, and let's go fishing. You've reached the end of another episode of the Gone Fishing Podcast. Connect with us at www.waypointmastermind.com where you can sign up for our newsletter to receive our free tools and resources. This podcast has been brought to you by Waypoint Mastermind. Personal growth and support through collaboration with a community of like-minded achievers. See you in the next episode.